Amen, amen. Grab your Bibles. We're in 2 Thessalonians today. 2 Thessalonians. We were there last week. We're there again today. And uh, haven't you enjoyed just being together and singing the Lord, uh, singing to the Lord and singing His praises today? I know there are people that choose to come to church sometimes. Let me just tell you part of why I love coming to worship here every single Sunday. It's sort of like what they call a, a timeline cleanse. You know what a timeline cleanse is? Timeline cleanse is if you're on social media and if you're like me, you follow a number of news organizations and uh, like I'll be on my Twitter and I'm just sort of scrolling. Now they call it doom scrolling, right? So you're, you go from bad story to worst story to the worst kind of story. It's over and over and over again. And every once in a while, someone will post something uh, that they call a timeline cleanse and it'll be you know, videos of puppies, right? And you're like, and I get drawn into that. I don't know what it is about puppies, puppies playing, but I'll stop, I'll stop. And suddenly I feel better, right? Worship is sort of like a timeline cleanse, right? In this world in which there's over and over again, we're hearing bad news and bad news after the other. And it's just nice to come together and to take a moment and recognize that not everything that's going on in this world is bad. And that there's actually some good news and the greatest news of all is that there is a God and that he loved us enough that he came into this world to save us from our sins, to redeem us, and to give us hope beyond the difficulties of this moment. And after, if, if you get yourself ever caught up in doom scrolling, take a moment and begin to worship the Lord. Now today we're going to take a look at a little bit of good news. And I pray it's going to be an encouragement to you, but I, I need to go ahead and qualify it. This idea that it being good news for you, it's not good news for everybody. It's only going to be good news for some. And so you'll see what I mean as we get into the text. So let's just go ahead and stand together. If this is your first time with us, uh, we invite you to stand with us too. We, we make it a habit at the beginning as, as I begin to preach, as we read God's Word, we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word because we believe that this is no ordinary book, but that this is God's revelation given to us. That he loved us enough to send his son, yes. And that's the most important thing of all, but also that he continues to reveal himself in holy writ. Beginning in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here's what, how it reads. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of, God, of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's not such good news for some. But then there's this, verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe, have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, we are so grateful for your word that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, just as these words were written a long time ago by the Apostle Paul to encourage some who had questions about your return and what it meant for them to suffer and as they waited upon that return. Lord, I pray that we would find similar encouragement here today. 
But Lord, I also pray that if there would be anyone here who does not yet believe, that they would fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God so that they can experience the good news of God and not face the suffering that will befall so many one day. So encourage us, I pray. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a seat. A few weeks ago when I was planning out this message series on 2 Thessalonians, I I do a lot of broad researching. I came across an overview of this book by a pastor by the name of John Henry Bukema. I don't know know who he is. I I know that he was a Baptist pastor uh, from uh, up on the northeast side of 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 the country uh, he's now with the Lord. He's passed away. But he, he summarized this particular passage that we're in today like this. He said, we live in a bad news world, but we serve a good news God. And I just love that. That just sort of sat on me. And I, and I liked it so much that I've sort of taken his phrasing there. I'm going to use it as the title of this message today, which is simply this. Bad news world, good news God. That's the title of this passage for me. And that's going to frame what I have to share with you today. In fact, what I'm going to present to you is not one big sermon, but two mini sermons. Can I do that? Two mini sermons instead of one big regular size one, sort of like sermon sliders for those of you who want want uh, an idea what this is going to be like. Because one, it's going to help us come to terms with what it means to be living in a bad news world. And the other is going to give us hope that there is a good news God who's working in the midst of this bad world, and that ultimately, for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, all will work out in the end. So which one shall we deal with first, the bad news world or a good news God? So, you know, if you ever had somebody come to you and say, hey, I have good news and I have bad news, which one do you want first? I wonder how many of you want the bad news first? Raise your hand, all right? And how many are, are you a good news p- p- person first, right? I'm a bad news person first. You know why? If you give me the good news and I feel good about it for a moment, then you tell me the bad news, I'm going to dwell on the bad news and forget about the good news. And so since I'm preaching, we're going to do what I want first, all right? So I'm going to give you the bad news first. We're going to focus on a bad news world. And in starting with the bad news, my my, my purpose here on this mini-sermon that will have just two points Uh, My purpose here is to give you a healthy perspective on suffering. And there's going to be a particular type of suffering that Paul has in mind when he he writes in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And it has to do with the suffering that a Christian goes through simply because they're followers of Jesus Christ, living in a fallen and broken world in which there are people who do not agree with what they believe in and try to dissuade them from their belief by persecuting them. But certainly it applies to the effects of sin generally when we suffer because we live in in this fallen and broken world. And I don't know if you've sensed it or not, probably you have, but if you're paying much attention, you know that something is seriously wrong with this world. You just pay attention and, and to see. Maybe you've sensed it yourself, maybe you know it intuitively, but all of creation is broken And it feels that way. Yes, it's beautiful out in the world at times, but there's something quite not right. Something feels off. Maybe you've sensed it or seen it when you've seen so many people living selfishly for themselves and not for other people. Uh, Maybe you've seen it as you see diseases running rampant or how 
the crazy weather events that we seem to keep having over and over again, or we maybe you, you see it and sense it in, in so much emotional and mental struggles that people have that often result in addictions and abuses of other people. Or maybe you've, you, you just noticed it when you see how quickly crime can overtake a city so quickly. All of these things and all of the troubles and travails of this world all of these things, these things that seem off, they have a source. There's an origin to it. If you know how God has created this world and why he created this world and, and what the world was like before, from the very beginning, God created this world to be a place of perfection, of harmony. When he created the first of us, when he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of, of, of Eden and there in that garden, they had the capacity to know God and to be known by God, to, to relate in, perfect, uh, in a perfect relationship with one another, but also to relate in a perfect relationship with their God. All was well, all was good, all was perfect. But as we know the story, as it's told in the earliest chapters of the Bible, that it wasn't long before the first human being succumbed to temptation, disobeyed God, rebelled against him, and from that moment to this, and all of us now suffer, uh, all of humanity has been afflicted, all go tracing itself back to a single instance of, uh, of an act of disobedience and rebellion. And now all of us are, are, are suffering. We fight, we feel lonely, we get sick, we get injured, we, we ultimately we die. And even Christians who've now learn the truth and learn the source of, of new life is, that is to be found in Jesus Christ. While we remain in this world, we even feel it. Sometimes we feel it even worse. And it's because of this bad news world, we may suffer and experience suffer, suffering that's really unique to us. We may experience some things simply because we've said yes to Jesus and you know, unbelievers, they're going to also face a particular suffering that's unique to them. So I'd like to talk about these two realities in this first part of the passage as we look at it. Here's the first. We're going to talk about what it means to be living in a bad news world. And in a bad news world, here's the first of two truths I want to share with you. In a bad news world, Christians, sometimes we may suffer now. Even though we know God, even though he is for us, even though the Lord loves us and wants what's best for us, sometimes Christians suffer. In fact, look back at verse 5. But better yet, back up to verse 4, which we looked at last week, and let's look at verses 4 and 5. Paul writes in verse 4, he says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Verse 5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Here we find Paul yet again uh, addressing a concern that is weighing down these Thessalonian believers. Remember that the, the second uh, Thessalonians is the second letter that the Apostle Paul penned to a group of Christians who lived in what is now ancient Greece, an area known as Thessalonia, and in a city known as Thessalonica. And Paul had brought the gospel to them. They had heard about the good news of Jesus. They had responded in faith. Paul was forced to move on. But those that, that were living in that community and continue to live in that community suffered because they dared to utter the name Jesus Christ as being their Lord. And so they're being persecuted. They're facing afflictions and all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
So now Paul is writing back to them a second letter uh, with, a sim- with similar um, purposes as the first letter. And it was all about encouraging them to keep on, to not give up faith, to, to stand firm, and to remain unshaken. And so Paul is telling them of all these persecutions that they're now facing and how their perseverance in the faith in spite of it was actually evidence of God's righteousness and justice. That is, he punishes the wicked and he rewards the faithful. And it's an encouragement to you and to me as we trust Christ and how we may also face our own persecutions because we call ourselves Christians that we would remain faithful, knowing that one day God is going to reward us. Now, keep in mind that that does not mean that he punishes and rewards on our timetable. And sometimes we have a really difficult time with this. We want to be delivered, and we want to be delivered right now. Amen? But that's not how often the Lord works. Often we continue to suffer in the present, and the punishment that our oppressors deserve is often pushed off to later. In fact, the Thessalonians were in the middle of suffering when Paul wrote these words. And which is why he said, you are enduring uh, persecutions and afflictions. You are also suffering. That's all in the present tense, not past tense. So what do we take from all of this? Well, for one thing, suffering for the faith happens. If you are a believer in Jesus and you suffer because of your faith in Jesus, consider that a normal thing. Consider that something to be expected. You may be persecuted for it. You may also suffer for it. And if you do, don't get freaked out over it. Don't be discouraged. I think that's why Paul is writing to them yet again, because they are discouraged, and he wanted them to not be discouraged, but to be encouraged. And I want you to be encouraged too, if and when that it happens. Now, what was it that Jesus said about entering the narrow gate? He said that the gate that leads to destruction is wide and, it, and the way to it is easy and many enter into it. But the gate that leads to life is what? It is narrow and the way is difficult. It is hard and very few people find it. Now, if what Jesus said was true, and, he, and it was true, there are going to be more unbelievers than believers. Let me say that again. If what Jesus said was true about the wide gate and the easy way versus the narrow gate, the hard way, and that many will find the easy way and few will f- go through the, ne- the narrow and difficult way, then that means that there are going to be far more unbelievers than believers. And that means also that some of those unbelievers are going to take issue with those who do believe. And some of them will persecute some of us. So what is that going to look like? Uh, well, there was an article that was put together some time ago by, uh, in a, uh, a website called FaithWorks. And uh, the, the authors of the article sort of listed uh, in, area, uh, in uh, a progression of, of what persecution could look like from the lightest of affliction down to the worst kind of affliction. So let me just read these off. What persecution could look like for you as a believer from the least intense to the worst. One could just simply be disapproval. People just don't like you because of it. Two, ridicule. Three, pressure to conform. Four, loss of educational opportunities. And then it keeps getting worse. You can move to economic sanctions because of your faith in Jesus. To shunning. Uh, Number seven, alienation from community. Eight, loss of employment. Even worse, loss of property. Ten, crosses the line to physical abuse. Eleven, mob violence. 12, harassment by officials. 13, kidnapping because you're a believer. 14, forced labor. 15, imprisonment. 
16, physical torture, and the last, 17, murder or execution. But you know, all of these can be persecution. It's highly unlikely that we're going to be experiencing some kind of persecution on the worst part of the list here in this country. But all, any of these can be persecution. You may not be physically attacked because of your faith. You may not be executed or someone that you love may not be financially harmed. But if all you face is disapproval from someone, that is persecution and you can suffer. And that kind of thing can happen because we live in a bad news world. Some reject the good news and they're pushing against those who believe that the good news has come. But hey, if it happens to you, friend, do not be discouraged by it. In fact, be encouraged. Wait a minute, pastor. Are you saying you want me to be encouraged if somebody persecutes me? Be, be encouraged for suffering for Jesus? Absolutely be encouraged. Let me tell you why. When you suffer, because of your faith in Jesus, you know what it does? It allows you to identify with Christ and what he went through for you. In fact, let me just prove this to you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Can you turn over to there? 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verses 19 and following. I'm still hearing some pages turn. I'm going to wait for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Listen to this. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But, and this is the important part, verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Do you see this? Verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is a bad news world, folks. And it's, it's not kind to people of faith. But when you are doing the right things, when you're doing the righteous things in the eyes of God and you suffer for it, you are getting to experience what our precious Lord experienced. And he did so on our behalf. You're following in his steps. And when you do good and suffer for it and endure, the Lord looks at that and he doesn't see it as a bad thing. He sees it as a gracious thing. This bad news world brought suffering to our Jesus. But, and so don't be surprised when it does the same thing to you. Don't be surprised. Be encouraged. Now, I do have to say I have a little bit of a gripe about Christian suffering. You know, because we, we do do the right thing. We, we might be persecuted for it, you know, you, you, but if you live the way that you want, just doing whatever you want to do, even if it's contrary to the Word of God, and, and nothing happens to you, so it seems. In fact, does it ever seem like there are some people, powerful people, who can commit crimes and find some way, somehow, a way to avoid the consequences? Which you know that if you and I committed those crimes, we go straight to jail, Right? Does that ever bother anybody when, when you see that happening? It bothers me deeply. It doesn't seem fair. And it's, in, in fact, it's all good to say, look, this is a broken world. That's why Christians suffer sometimes. That's why Christians are sometimes persecuted. But what about those who actually do the persecuting? 
The ones who are doing the crime and they're committing the crime against us, does anything ever happen to them? Uh, Shouldn't they face some kind of justice? Uh, Don't they get what's coming to them? Well, the answer to that is yes. Yes, this is a bad news world, but, and yes, Christians may suffer now, but here's the thing that, that you need to be con, con, encouraged with. In this bad news world, unbelievers will suffer later. Check this out, verse 6. He says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. We're back now in 2 Thessalonians 1. Since indeed God considers it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you you. Here's the promise. There are people in this world who have brought harm on God's people through persecution. They've inflicted pain. They've inflicted suffering sometimes against people. Christians have truly suffered because they were, they were just believers in Jesus. That's a truth. But here's another truth. Payback is coming. Payback is coming. As Paul says it, the Lord will repay with affliction those who have afflicted his children. Here's how it's going to go down. Someday in the future, this is going to happen, verse 7, that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our, our Lord Jesus. What is described here at the end of verse 7 and on into verses 8 and following is what we call judgment day. It's a reference to the day of the Lord. It happens and will happen when Jesus who left, remember after Jesus died, was buried and came back to life, 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Well, that was his homecoming. He'd already come one time. He's coming back, what we refer to as the second coming. And all this that we're talking about now, this future punishment, this future judgment and suffering upon those who do not believe in Jesus is going to come when Jesus returns for the second time. And what's happening here, what's described here in 2 Thessalonians is the same event that we talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And what Paul wrote there was this, For the Lord will himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And Paul said about that in 1 Thessalonians that we need to therefore encourage one another with these words. But you know, when Paul wrote that word of encouragement, encourage one another about the return of Jesus, only Christians can find encouragement upon Christ's return. And because his return is altogether different For those who don't know Jesus, it's going to be a good day for us, amen, but it's going to be a bad day for those who've rejected Christ, especially for those who have caused harm for God's people. Because in most places, his his return is described as his coming. But here in this this particular passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, there is a different word that is used here to describe the return of Jesus and in fact, when it says that the Lord, that Paul says that the Lord will be revealed from heaven, the word revealed, that word revealed can mean revelation or disclosure, but it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. Does that word sound a little familiar to you? Have you heard the term apocalypse? If I were to say, hey, apocalypse is coming, more than likely you're thinking judgment day. You're thinking the worst kind of experience. And we, we often associate apocalypse with end time destruction. And it's based on this passage right here. 
You see, one day the Lord is going to descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. His presence will suddenly be revealed and he will be accompanied by the heavenly host. And when he comes, we are told here in 2 Thessalonians that he will inflict vengeance upon those who have afflicted his people. And he will do so with flaming fire, a sure and terrible punishment. The nature of that punishment is described in the next verse. Look at verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Here Paul gives us a couple of descriptions of what this punishment is going to be like. First, it's going to be eternal destruction. Now the thought of this ought to terrify you. It, it does me because this punishment is un, unequivocal. It's a destruction that is never completed. It's ongoing. It's to be always dying and never to die. You know, eternal judgment for sin is one of the hardest teachings or harder teachings of the Bible. A lot of people struggle with it because they're thinking, "Why? Well, you know, how can an infinite sin have an infinite, or how can finite sin have an infinite punishment? How can a just God do for that? Do that? How can He call for that?" The problem for us is we're trying to wrestle with what we believe to be finite sin and infinite punishment is that we're measuring the punishment against the sin when we should be measuring it against whom the sin has been committed. It's like this. Suppose a student who's uh, going to public school somewhere punches another student in class. What's the punishment? Well, well probably it's students given detention. Which is to say that that same student during detention goes to the teacher who's supervising detention and punches the teacher. What happens then? Well, the student gets suspended. And then suppose on the way home that the same boy punches a policeman. What do you think is going to happen then? Well, that boy's going to be found in jail. Now suppose many years later, the same boy is waiting to see the President of the United States. And as the President of the United States passes by, he lunges out to punch the President. And what happens then? He's shot dead by the Secret Service. Now, every single time, the crime was the same. He, he tried to punch someone, but the consequences were different. Why? Because the severity of the crime is measured by the one against whom it has been committed. And so what is the consequence of committing a crime against the holiest of holy gods? It's the severest punishment of all. It's eternal destruction. Is it harsh? Yes. But it is just. It is just eternal destruction. Here's the second description we find about punishment that's coming, and that is those who are punished are cast out of God's presence forever. As Paul puts it, they'll be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And friend, I'm going to tell you, as harsh and as difficult as eternal destruction may be, to be away from God's presence, to be away from the glory of His might, it means to be without hope. That means that if you're suffering uh, the, the, the punishment of disobedience and rebellion against God, as you suffer, you know that, the, that it's never ending and there is no hope, there's no out. Remember that this punishment is eternal. So to be away from the Lord's presence is to be without his hope forever. And listen, I, I want to be very clear here. This punishment isn't just for those who, who persecute Christians. As Paul puts it, it's for those who don't know God and they don't obey the gospel. That's, that's clearly stated in verse 8. 
And I know that that's a hard truth. It's one of the hardest of Scripture, and it may even seem unfair to you, but it's not. Because what's fair is getting what you deserve, right? And and we all deserve to die forever apart from God. But fortunately, there is a good news God, and because there is a good news God, there is hope. And this punishment doesn't have to be your punishment. It doesn't have to be our punishment. So that's the end of the first mini-sermon. You ready for some good news? Let's go to the second mini-sermon, because yes, in a bad news world, Christians may suffer now, and also unbelievers will suffer later, but with a good news God, good news will come. And one thing that will come is this. There are three I want to share with you. The first is relief will be granted one day. Christian, if you're suffering now, it's not going to be forever. You, you won't be forever suffering. In fact, listen again to verse 7. Because after telling, saying that God's going to repay with affliction those who afflict him, Paul makes this promise to the Thessalonians about what God will do. Verse 7, he says, He will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Ever experience a lot of pain and then got some relief from it? About 15 years ago, I, I suffered an injury while I was carrying a large piece of furniture. I didn't know it at first. It took a couple of days for the injury to really manifest itself. But I had an injury to a disc in my spine. In fact, I was leaning over shaving one morning, getting ready to go out for the day, and I felt a pop in the back of my my back. It was because when I'd carried that furniture, it weakened a spot in that disc. And as I moved in just the wrong position, it popped. I now have a little piece of floating disc material in the back of uh, somewhere along my spine. And uh, most of the time I don't know about it, but occasionally I'll have flare-ups and I'll have a, a, a pain that just shoots all the way down to my left side of my foot as it come, that little piece gets up against the nerve. After the injury initially happened, it was really bad. I was walking around sort of hunched over. Every step was painful. I could never find a place to, to, to lay down in order to, to get any kind of, of, of a break from the pain. They did tell me you have two choices. You can either have surgery on your back or you can, we can try physical therapy. And we tried physical therapy and guess what? It worked. One of the things that they did, however, for me is they would lay me out on a table and they put this harness around my waist and then they put a, another harness up around up under my chin and it was a stretching machine. Was, you know, they would actually start pulling my feet away from my head is what they would do. And it's sort of a medieval, looked like medieval torture, but I'm going to tell you it was blessed because something happened as they began to stretch my body this way, that disc material would sort of move to a spot where it wasn't up against that nerve. And just as they would start it, the pain that was there, suddenly there was relief. And let me tell you, it was awesome in them. I never wanted to take that harness off, right? And if you've ever been there, if you've ever had some kind of physical pain that would not relent, and then suddenly there is relief, you know what I'm talking about, the, the, the preciousness of that moment of relief. And I know there are a lot of people that pursue pleasure in this world, but there is nothing compared to experiencing and feeling relief after pain and affliction. There's just a sense of, I don't know, euphoric peace. Like, I don't need any good thing to happen to me again. This relief I'm experiencing is good enough. Can I get an amen for those of you who've been there before? Relief from affliction is what Paul is promising here. And I would assume that 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 sense of euphoric peace would accompany it when it happened. 
Because if you have ever suffered at the hands of someone else, if, if, if someone you, you've loved has suffered before, if you've ever asked, how can a loving God let good people su suffer? Let this promise help you. To know that relief is coming tells us that we've not yet arrived to the end of the story. You may be in the worst place right now. This may be a hard moment, maybe the hardest moment of your life. And I don't know why you're suffering. I don't know what the cause of your affliction may be. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the end of the story is not now. Relief is coming. And to know that relief is coming is a promise of the Lord. In fact, someone here right now perhaps is suffering intently, suffering at the hands of someone else. Or, or maybe you're just suffering because you live in this fallen and broken world. But the, to you, the God is saying this, a day is coming when the Lord Jesus is going to be revealed. And when that day comes, so will relief and so will justice. You see, not only will relief be granted one day, Another promise that comes with a, a good news God is that justice will be rendered. Have you ever wanted to get revenge on someone? Don't nod your head, all right? I want you to confess anything out here. I mean, maybe somebody had it out for you. You don't know why you did something wrong, or maybe they just didn't like you. And for whatever it is, you know, you may have tried to, do, to, try to get them to like you. You may have tried to make things right, but they wanted nothing of it. And all they did was try to bring harm against you and, and, and throw shade at you. And listen, to be honest, I've had people like that. I've had a couple, two or three church members throughout all of my ministries through the years who are just downright ugly to me or downright ugly to my family. And if you're wondering if that's you, it's not. They're not in our church, all right? But I wouldn't be lying, or I would be lying if I, if I didn't say that occasionally I hoped a little bad to come their way, Right? I mean, I wasn't praying for it. It wasn't some imprecatory prayer. But, I, but I, you know, if something bad happened to them, uh, some difficulty, you know, I had to really get out of the flesh and into the spirit to not rejoice in that. All right? Let me tell you, friend, re the, the seeking revenge and wanting revenge is sinful. It's not of the Lord. In fact, instead of seeking revenge uh, and seeking to, to render revenge on someone, what we should actually desire is just justice. And when we go for that, it's revenge. But when the Lord does it, it's something else. In fact, that's what the Lord promises will ultimately come against those who have opposed us in the faith and who have opposed him. Verse 8 again, we've read it already. He says, in flaming fire. And here's the key phrase, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The word vengeance is not revenge. Vengeance is righteous punishment. Revenge is an act of passion, but vengeance is an act of justice. And so th that the Lord promises vengeance reminds us that justice is going to be rendered one day. We may not get to see it, this side of heaven, but he promises it will happen. And the affliction that we, that we, that we suffer uh, and, and have wrongly suffered will not go unpunished. And I know that it's sometimes hard for us to see God's justice in this world because it seems sometimes that people who do good often suffer and those who do evil often prosper. But never forget that our God is still a just God. And even though his justice may be hidden for now, it will become obvious when Jesus returns. And listen, God's vengeance will not just be rendered upon our persecutors. 
Note that Paul says that his justice, his vengeance, will fall upon those who do not know God and upon those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, in flaming fire, God will inflict justice upon unbelievers. That's because the greatest offense of all is not what's rendered against us. It's unbelief in the one true God. If you refuse to believe that Jesus is God and that he's Lord and he is Savior, you face this punishment, which is why it is so important that you believe in Jesus, that you turn to him from your sin in repentance, and that you follow him with all that you have. There's one last thing that I want to encourage you by, very briefly, with the good news God one day faith, your faith, will be validated. Look at verse 10. He says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, and he marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. This simply reminds us that when Jesus returns, things are going to be different for those who believe than for those who who do not believe. Instead of eternal destruction and separation, those who have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ who confessed Jesus as the Lord and repented of their sins and turned to him to follow after him, instead of eternal destruction, instead of separation, Christians will experience glorification in God's presence. In other words, what we're going to find is that our faith in Christ has been proven true. All of those who stood against us and tried to squash our our gospel and our message and try to inhibit us uh, and discourage us from trusting Christ, obeying Christ, and sharing the good news of Christ, all of that that we suffered and said to say that our faith wasn't true, our faith will be proven true one day when what we say we believe now comes to, to fruition one day because we believe the gospel, we will experience eternal life and we will get to marvel at Jesus for all of eternity. Now listen, I know this passage is a heavy one. This topic is heavy, especially for a Sunday that we have our kids in the room for family worship. And it just so happens that this passage fell on this day. But listen, we cannot have a clear message about the reality of this world, how broken it is, how wrecked by sin it is, and what will happen to us in the future. You see, the world is broken by sin, and it affects everyone from the youngest to the oldest. But whether or not this is, bad, is a bad news world and nothing else, or whether you have hope for the future, it all comes down to whether you believe in a good news God or not. That good news God is Jesus. And his good news is this, that yes, we deserve to be punished for our sin. We are sinners and we are separated from God because of our sin. However, because we can do nothing for ourselves to make things right between us and him, there is good news. And that good news is this, that Jesus is God. He came to this earth in the person of God and man, in the same person, lived a perfect life, and ultimately laid down his life upon the cross to pay the penalty of your, your sin and mine. So that, knowing that he, was, he died, was buried, and came back to life, so that if we will confess him as Lord, believing that he is God, believing that he died for our sins, and we will turn from our sins and turn to him, we will be saved. And if if we will repent and believe in him, friend, you can have the hope of this passage. We can have the hope that one day, yes, relief is coming. Whatever afflicts you now is not forever. We know that justice will be rendered and that we will be with the Lord forevermore. Of course, apart from Jesus, there's bad news. And the bad news is, apart from Christ, without Jesus, there is no hope. 
And if you don't believe, God's justice will find you. See, I believe that you and I, we have a clear choice to make. And the choice you should make is to believe in Jesus while you may. Bad news world? Yes. But even better, there is a good news God. Believe in him. Let's pray. Lord, I know now, based on the topic of, this com- of, of our message, the topic of our conversation today, and seeing how you have clearly delineated the believer from the unbeliever, but also the destiny you've clearly delineated between those who believe and those who do not, between those who obey Christ and those who persecute those who follow Christ. And now, Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit of God, as we often do at this moment. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God be at work in, in and among us, and that if there be one person, if not many here, who are apart from you, the Lord let the message and the heaviness of this topic fall down upon them and break them. Lord, bring them under the convicting work of your Spirit, and Lord, let them seek after you while they may. Lord, as they declare their belief in you and their desire to turn from their sins and to turn to you, Lord, I pray that you save them and that you redeem them. Lord, encourage them to respond in faith, we pray. Let not this moment, let it not be a wasted opportunity, but let it be the moment that they finally believe the testimony of the church, that there is a God, his name is Jesus, and that he saves. So let it be, we pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.